Hello and welcome to the fourth Carson Sack podcast. And this, this is where we talk balls. We had a lot of action on the gridiron this week. Saturday, week two of the college football season, had some good games there. And then finally, after what felt like an eternity since February, we all waited. First freaking Sunday for NFL football. It was great. Three games were decided by a point. And I mean, that hasn't happened in I don't know how many years, but great games that the NFL had lined up for us. So on this episode, just going to look back at the weekend, recap the games from Saturday, recap the games from Monday night and Sunday night in the NFL as well. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about a little bit of a college football. And as we tend to do, we're going to start off with the local teams here on Carson Sack Podcast. And we're going to start on a negative note. And I hate to do this, but... There's a lot to talk about, and it's pretty much all bad. We're going to talk about the Kentucky Wildcats going down to Florida 45-7, and this game was pretty much over from the start. Kentucky was dominated in every aspect of the game, and it wasn't even close. It's pretty sad, actually. The Cats are now 0-2 after what most Kentucky fans were thinking would at least be a 1-1 opening to the season, at best 2-0, and then... No one was really expecting this for the Cats. Drew Barker, the starting quarterback for Kentucky, was 2 for 10, had 10 yards, and had three interceptions. When you're completing more passes to the other team, you're not doing too hot. Also, he had 10 passing yards. Not going to get it done at any level of football, and especially when you're in the SEC playing teams like Florida, like Tennessee, like Georgia. Backup had more passing yards than him, and he only completed a pass. And, I mean, the team was 3 for 14 overall passing, so that's not really anything to ride home about. Honestly, I don't think there's going to be a worse passing performance in college football this year. And that takes a lot of, like, you have to try to be that bad. And, I mean, Kentucky was that bad this weekend. Boom Williams had 12 carries for 66 yards. Jojo Kemp had 8 for 13. Um... Boom Williams, 25-yard was his longest, but Kentucky, like I said, never really able to get anything going on the day. It seemed like as soon as Florida scored the first touchdown and Kentucky had their first possession on offense, it was not going to go well because you could just see how better Florida was than Kentucky was in every aspect of the game from those first two drives. Now, the question on a lot of Kentucky fans' minds are, do we keep Stoops? Um, Stoops is a great recruiter, great defensive mind, has brought a lot of attention to the football program at UK, which is so difficult to do because of the basketball culture that surrounds the school, has a new practice complex and recruiting um, tool to bring kids in because of that new practice complex, got renovations done to Commonwealth Stadium that needed to be done, also another big recruiting tool. He's proven he can recruit. I think I saw somewhere it was like 13 guys were returning to Florida to play this game. I mean, to go into Florida, I mean, that's a talent-rich area, and get 13 guys from the state of Florida to come play SEC football away from a Florida or a other SEC school from down south, it's pretty difficult to do, and Stoops is able to do it. What is concerning, though, is he is able to do that, has the talent, and this is what we're putting out on, putting out on the field two weeks in a row. 
It's very alarming. Stoops is, uh, like I said, good recruiter, good defensive mind, but offense lacking and development of talent lacking. So after a point, it's not just the player's fault anymore. It's Stoops' fault. I looked at the schedule. If best-case scenario for Kentucky, they're going 6-6, six and six, and that's with a couple of upsets on the year, um, especially looking at the last game when they have to go to U of L and try and slow down Lamar Jackson, which is just a real tough task to do. But best case scenario, six and six, and hopefully a bowl game. Um, worst case scenario that I think seems more likely. That I mean, I'm thinking five and seven, and that's losing the last game to U of L, and that's a step in the same direction we've been going and. In the fourth year, Stoops, you expect to see the turnaround by now. You expect to see us at least getting six or seven wins and going to a bowl. So Kentucky fans, I understand we're growing a little impatient, growing a little angry because we've put up with being mediocre for so long, and we know we have the talent. We know we thought we had the coach, but it doesn't seem like it right now. The Cats could go rattle off these next games and win everything and have these two losses and be the SEC East champs and everything, and it'd be amazing. Is that going to happen? No, it's not. And I think the more realistically people look at it, the more they understand Stoops has been a pretty, pretty big disappointment, and that's sad to say. I don't think UK should get rid of him in the middle of the year. I think they should let him finish it out not be a big distraction and try and fill in with somebody I think you let him finish it out I don't think it's going to hurt anything if you do that what best case scenario for me if they do get rid of him what I'd like to see it's not going to happen but if Stoops could slide over to D coordinator and they bring in another coach Stoops like I said defense and recruiting that's what he does best and to go from a head coaching job at an SEC school to a defensive coordinator at an SEC school probably could happen for him, but probably not at Kentucky just because that's where he was the head coach at. But a real rough day Saturday for the Cats, and it's looking like it's going to be a real rough year for the Cats. Now we're moving on to a little bit more of a positive note, some good vibes to the podcast. Going to talk about the Cardinals from UofL. Went up to Syracuse and dominated that entire game. Lamar Jackson had another great game. Almost was the first player to have 400 passing yards and 200 rush yards in a college football game. But Bobby P. pulled him with 199 yards on the ground. Um, Bobby P. probably had no idea. But how could you even complain if you're a UofL fan right now? UofL's defense is playing incredible. Lamar Jackson's playing real well. Radcliffe is toting the rock real well. And the receivers, which was kind of a bit of a question mark coming into the season, but James Quick, Reggie Bonifon, uh, Jamari Staples, all being really good contributors. And like I said, the defense. I don't think this defense gets a lot of credit. They are really good. And it's going to be pretty interesting because coming Saturday to the oven in Louisville, you got the Florida State Seminoles, who is a top five ranked right now in college football. UofL top ten as well. It's going to be a really good game. College game day is going to be there. Really excited to see it. Really excited to see how this is Lamar Jackson's first 
real tough test. I mean, I know last year he played Texas A&M in the bowl game, but they didn't really have that much flaunted of a defense. I think Florida State has a better defense than that, and it's an ACC game, so it's very important for the conference standings and who's going to be playing for the championship in the ACC come the end of the year. So um, a lot of pressure is going to be on the Cardinals, especially Lamar Jackson because he's their do-it-everything man. But I think Lamar Jackson is going to come out and have a really big game Probably perform really well for them. But like I said, looking back at the weekend, another great performance. Right now, if the season were to end, he'd probably be the Heisman winner just because of the incredible numbers put up. But they got a long ways to go. And I know I kind of broke down the Florida State game a little bit, but I'll do more of that for you on Friday. So now that we took care of the hometown squads, we're going to look nationally. And the next biggest news story coming out of the college football world this weekend was Central Michigan going to Oklahoma State and beating the 22nd-ranked Cowboys on a last-second Hail Mary on a play that wasn't even supposed to happen. Um, according to the rules, the intentional grounding of the play before was supposed to negate the next play from happening, but refs messed that up. Central Michigan, Hail Mary, guy caught it, laddled it back. Other guy ran clear across the field, had to fight his way into the end zone, but made it somehow. Really big upset. Uh, didn't expect Oklahoma State to go down. Central Michigan's a good team, but did not foresee them going into Oklahoma State and winning this game. Um, Oklahoma State can still be a threat in the Big 12. It's just really going to be hard for them to rebound from this game because the way they lost, it's just it wasn't their fault really because the game shouldn't even have had that play happen. But if they do rebound, I think they're going to rebound really well because they're going to come out and be like, we didn't really lose that game. We got screwed, kind of, and they're just come out and play their next opponents hard and mad. So actually it could be a good thing for Oklahoma State. The next things we're going to look at were some top 10 teams that struggled with lesser opponents this weekend and don't really know why. There was no really good reasons for it, but Nichols, an FCS school, went to Georgia who's ninth in the country, and gave him a game. Georgia barely escaped with a two-point win. And then Troy went to Clemson, kept it real close for the first half. Then Clemson in the third and fourth quarter kind of pulled away, but then Troy came roaring back, and, and Clemson only won 30-24. to 24. Both Clemson second in the nation. But like I said, both top ten teams, Georgia and Clemson, struggling. And I don't really know what the deal with Clemson is this year, but they really scared me. Um, I understand Auburn was a SEC school and they have a lot of talent, but they only won that game by six. And to only win this game, Troy, in your home opener by six, really concerning for me. Deshaun Watson has not really seemed to be getting in a rhythm. Their defense, they lost a lot. They're struggling as well. So Clemson needs to get their shit together. It's kind of concerning to me. Georgia, I'm not taking them really serious on the year. I think they're ranked a little too high. Um, I think this game showed where their weaknesses are. Nichols, I clearly didn't think was going to win this game. A lot closer than anybody thought it was, but both, both schools. If Georgia thinks they're going to do anything in the SEC, even if it's a down year and they're in the weaker division, the SEC East, they think they're going to do anything with the effort and the talent and what they're doing on the field now. They got bad news coming their way. And Clemson, if they think they have any chance to win the ACC, especially with Florida State, a rejuvenated Miami, uh, UofL playing as good as it is, they got bad news coming to them as well. 
Just really surprised by those two games and those two scores. These next two games are the last two games I'm going to talk about. The first one, I'm going to talk about the battle at Bristol. Tennessee coming out on top, 45-24, after their rocky first week game against Appalachia State. Kind of came out in this game, asserted its dominance, showed what they thought we would, what we thought they would be this entire year. Uh, pretty dominant. Their offensive line looked good, which was their big problem in the first weekend. Josh Dobbs played really well. Um, their running back played really well as, as well. Um, Virginia Tech, under their new coach, uh, was playing on a lot of emotions, I feel like, in such a big game. I think what they did at the stadium was great. I wish there were more games in big atmospheres like this. It's pretty cool. An FCS school team gets to play there next week, so that's awesome. They get to have that exposure as well. Probably not going to be as many people there, but still, loved what they did at Bristol. Wish they would do more things like that. And Tennessee now... And the SEC East looks to be the cream of the crop, the best team in there, um, playing well just like everybody thought they could. Then, the last game I'm going to talk about and cover for the weekend recap, Arkansas against TCU. 15th ranked TCU went down to the Razorbacks, 41-38 in two overtimes. TCU was my national championship pick. I don't think this is a dagger or a nail in the coffin just yet. Um, but it's going to be hard. going to be hard for them to rebound from this. Arkansas is 2-0. They're in the SEC. Their defense is pretty good. they got a good running game. Always do. If they can keep it up, they can probably surprise some teams as well because they got solid game-managing quarterback. And like I said, good defense, good running back. So that's a recipe for success. TCU, Kenny Hill played a good game. Just wasn't able to make the plays at the end of the game that Arkansas was. And it's pretty sad to say, but I don't think they're out of it necessarily by any means, but it's going to be an uphill battle for the Horned Frogs. But I'm still keeping faith. I'm still picking them to win the national championship. I don't know how. The committee is going to have to show them some love somehow. I think if they beat some Big 12 teams pretty big this year that could help them out. But still, I believe in the Horned Frogs. I believe in Kenny Hill, so they're still my pick, even after this rough home loss by three to Arkansas in two overtimes. So since we took care of the college football games, we can transition to the NFL. First Sunday of the season, awesome games for us. First off, I want to talk about the Packers at the Jaguars. Packers came out, real tough game, but ended up winning 27-23. I think this was more of a tough game, not because the Packers played bad, but because the Jags played so well. Um, Blake Broyles was 24-39, 320 yards and a touchdown. TJ Yeldon carried the ball 21 times, had a pretty bad average because he only had 39 yards, but he had a touchdown, but he was running real hard. On the other side of the ball, Aaron Rodgers was 20-34 for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. And an apparently a slim-down Eddie Lacy carried the ball 14 times for 61 yards. I don't see any difference in Eddie Lacy size-wise. He might be a little bit quicker, maybe not be breathing as hard when he's running the ball, but visually, he looks no different. Uh, Jaguars defense came out, and they were playing zone the entire first half. I don't know why they differentiated from in the second half because it kind of screwed them up. But Jaguars, I think, showed 
they're trending in the right direction, and it's something really nice to see that through the draft and through free agency and through the right process, you can get better. The Jags, like I said, only fall, fall into the package by four points when maybe last year or two years ago, this game would have been over by halftime, and now it was down to the wire, and the Jags had a chance all the way into the end. So it's nice to see. The Packers also really encouraging because they showed going on the road, they can win in a hostile environment in a close game, and it was nice to see Jordy Nelson back out there with Aaron Rodgers. They connected on a touchdown pass. Um, they were back in their old form, so it was just nice to see for them as well. Packers got to be really encouraged, but so do the Jaguars as well. The next game, we're going to go on down to the Bayou. We got the Raiders coming out with a one-point win. Like I said, one of the games that was decided by one point against the Saints, 35-34. And the reason all that was possible is because Jack Del Rio rolled the dice, went for two on the last uh, touchdown of the game, and put him up. It was a really gutsy call. Um, I, I appreciate the call. I, if you're rolling the dice, it shows you want to win. You'll do anything to win. Derek Carr had 319 yards on a touchdown. Uh, Breeze put up crazy numbers in the loss, 423 yards for four touchdowns. Willie Sneed, a little bit under the radar, but nine catches for 172 yards and a touchdown. Impressive. Um, pretty hard for a receiver down in, in New Orleans to separate itself and have a big game like that because it seems like every year they have about six or seven options. But Sneed looks to be the guy that Breeze likes to go to when they need a big player, big catch on third down. Amari Cooper, Derek Carr's favorite target, had six receptions for 137 yards. Um, it's pretty hard for what I thought would be a really improved Raiders defense to show how good it is against an offense that is so good and so creative and inventive like the Saints is under Sean Payton and with Drew Brees and all the weapons he has. But I think in the coming weeks, the Raiders, their opponents are going to start seeing less and less opportunities and there's going to be less and less points on the board for the Raiders' opponents. It was a great game to watch. I really enjoyed watching it and it shows the Raiders can be for real. And it's also encouraging for the Saints because their defense played really well at times, and that's what's been keeping them back and keeping them from winning games in the past, their defense. But like I said, they played well at times, so it's really encouraging to see. Speaking of encouraging to see, you got to talk about the Vikings and the Titans. Everybody was picking the Titans to beat the Vikings this weekend. The game's at Tennessee. Vikings just lost Teddy Bridgewater, the ultimate game manager, how would they respond? And they end up coming away with the 25-16 win with Sean Hill at the quarterback. Sean Hill was very serviceable, 236 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. It was pretty much Vikings defense that got it done for him because AP, 31 yards, not doing anything, no touchdowns. Mariota for the Titans had 271 yards and two touchdowns. DeMarco Murray... Had two touchdowns receiving, but running the ball wasn't really that complimentary back that they needed for Derrick Henry. So the Titans, who everybody thought this week would get their season rolling, didn't. And it was mostly, as I said, because of the great Vikings defense. It's going to be real hard for the Vikings to win a lot of games with just scoring 25 points and especially without AP dominating. But that's really good as well. That's one way you can look at it because they didn't get really any production from AP and their quarterback didn't even throw for a touchdown. So if the Vikings D keeps playing as well as they did Sunday, they're going to be in a lot of games. And you got to think 
the Vikings are going to get some contributions from their quarterback and from AP. So be cautious, Viking fans. Be cautiously optimistic. But just know that if you're only going to put up 25 points, it's going to be pretty hard to win. And Viking and Titans fans, maybe some cause for concern because you couldn't take advantage of the injuries that the Vikings had and you couldn't come out on top. So that's just my thoughts on that game. The next game we got to talk about, we got to talk about the incredible comeback the Chiefs had over the Chargers. They overcame a 17-point deficit to the Chiefs to win 33-27 in overtime. Alex Smith played real well, 363 yards, a little bit more than what his average is. Two touchdowns, again, a little bit more than what his average is. Uh, Ware for the Chiefs at running back had 70 yards and a touchdown, filling in for Jamal Charles, who they get back next week. But if you're a Chargers fan, you got to feel pretty bad. The Chargers came out red hot, lost the game, and then lost their number one receiver, Keenan Allen. Um, Joey Bosa, the third overall pick, didn't play. I don't know how much of an impact he would have had this game, missing all the camp and all the training camp and all that. That's why they held him out. But if you're a Chargers fan, you you were the only team in the division not to get a win. So everyone else is 1-0. You're sitting in the AFC West at 0-1 in the basement without your number one receiver. It looks like it might be another long year. A good positive, though, Melvin Gordon in his second year finally found the end zone for his first time in his career. Didn't do it all of his rookie year, but maybe that's about the only bright spot besides Phillip Rivers is Melvin Gordon. The Chiefs looked real good. It's always something with the Chiefs. Last year, they rattled off the 11 wins in a row, and then this year they start off the year with this 17-point comeback. They're a fun team to watch. I'd hate to be a fan of them. I'd probably have freaking heart attacks every weekend. But Chiefs, like I said, coming out on top, coming back from 17 points down to beat the Chargers in overtime, 33-27. Next, we go down to Jerry World, where the Giants eked out a victory, another one of those one-point games against the Cowboys, 20-19. And it was Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott's first game starting both rookies. Prescott threw the ball 45 times. That's a lot for a rookie, but and I think it's a lot, especially for the Cowboys, who have such a good offensive line. But he had 227 yards, no interceptions, no touchdowns, so it was pretty serviceable, pretty good. Elliott had 20 carries for 51 yards. Bit of a bit of a bad average. Not really impressive. Not what I think a lot of people were expecting. But he did have a touchdown, so that's nice to see. Eli Manning, always very consistent, um, 207 yards, three touchdowns, did have an interception, always, like I said, always consistent, probably going to have an interception for every three touchdowns, but that's okay. Odell, four receptions for 73 yards, pretty good. Um, it was nice to see Dak and Elliott be out there to maybe be who could be the face of the Cowboys in the near to coming future. Elliott was running really hard. You could tell he wanted to impress, just didn't have the holes open for him. And I think more and more as he gets to play, gets to run behind that offensive line, he'll be able to figure it out. I think it was just a slow week one. Don't be alarmed, Cowboys fans. Uh, you have a lot to be encouraged about by Prescott as well. So I'm really, really optimistic if you're a Cowboys fan, and the Giants, lucky to squeak that one out. 
in the NFC East, anything can happen. Redskins fell tonight against the Steelers, so you got a game up on them, Giants fans. And it was nice to see Sterling Shepard catch a touchdown pass. Also, Victor Cruz coming back from his injury. It was nice to see. Giants, if they can get the run game figured out and get their defense figured out, they can be really, really dangerous, not just in the NFC East, but in the entire NFC. So now we look to the nightcap of the Sunday games where the Patriots went down to Arizona and beat the Cardinals 23-21 behind Garoppolo. Uh, Garoppolo had 264 yards and a touchdown. Garrett Blunt was toting the rock real well, 70 yards for a touchdown. And Garoppolo pretty much executed the offense, not Tom Brady-esque, but pretty well. Um, was hitting the underneath receivers, crossing patterns, letting guys just find holes in the zone the defense was playing and hitting them and hoping for about six yards and then hoping they'd break a tackle and do well, and that's what happened. Uh, Brady was out, Rob Ninkovich was out, Rob Gronkowski was out, and a couple other players were out, and somehow the Patriots still find a way to win. And I don't think this speaks poorly to the Cardinals. I think this speaks more highly to the Patriots the Patriots under Belichick are going to find ways to win, whether it's kicking 10 field goals a game or starting a backup quarterback and just hitting six-yard crosses and hoping for the best because that's pretty much what they did, hand the ball off, six-yard cross. But it was really impressive to see the way a proper game plan and doing your strengths and not really trying to get out of your comfort zone as a team. If you just stick to what you know and what you do well, how well you can perform. The Cardinals, um, looking on their side of the ball, Carson Palmer, 271 yards and a touchdown. David Johnson, 89 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown. Larry Fitzgerald is the freaking renaissance man. Always, always comes ready to play. Is incredible for the age he's at. Eight receptions for 81 yards and two touchdowns. I can't say it enough how impressive it is to see him with the with uh, Bruce Arians down there, his career just be rejuvenated and re-energized. I love seeing it. The Cardinals are still going to be dangerous in the NFC, and the Pats just showed they're really going to be dangerous in the AFC. These first four games going to be dangerous with Garoppolo, and then even more dangerous once Brady gets back. What I mentioned in my last podcast was if the Patriots can somehow get to be 2-2 two and two, or maybe at best 3-1 and one in these games. They could maybe still be in it in the FC East early on and Brady won't have to do that much to come back. The Patriots were the only team in the AFC East to win. They got a game lead on everybody, which is a lot. And it's really something that Garoppolo won't have to stress about trying to win these next games to keep up with these other teams. So the Patriots looking up. And, yeah, the Cardinals fell this week, but I still like what they got going down there, and I still think they're really dangerous. Now, wrapping this up a little bit, we're going to talk about the Monday night game. Yeah, I said game because I'm watching the 49ers and the Rams now. Awful. I guarantee half the people in L.A. are just saying, I wish the Rams would have stayed in St. Louis if this is how they're going to play. Um, I don't understand how a professional team can be so bad as the Rams are playing in the first half and early in the third quarter. It's very, very concerning. But the game I do want to talk about, the Steelers going to Washington and beating the Redskins 38-16. Roethlisberger threw for a cool 300 yards, 
three touchdowns, an interception. Wasn't really his fault. D'Angelo Williams filling in for Le'Veon Bell, who they get back in week three, I believe, had 143 yards and two touchdowns. A monster, despite his age, just gets better with time. He had 73 rush yards in the fourth quarter. He's like a fine wine. The older it gets, the later it is, the better he plays. It's something great to see. And Antonio Brown, eight receptions, 126 yards, two touchdowns. What's new? Kirk Cousins, after getting paid in the offseason, when he didn't even beat a team with an above 500 record, but still got paid, came out, was threw for 329 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, really disappointing. Deshaun Jackson looked good, though. He had 120, 102 yards, my apologies, but... The big thing tonight that I saw was Antonio Brown was torching the uh, weak side, the guy on the right side for the uh, for the Redskins, and Josh Norman, the newly acquired, uh, self-proclaimed best cornerback in the league, was on the left side just watching this guy get burnt play after play after play. Uh, the guy gave up two touchdowns to Brown, and the one one or two times that. Brown did go against Norman. I think he caught a ball, and then the other time he didn't even get thrown to, or if he did, it might have been a bad pass or a breakup or something like that. And Norman and him got into it, and it's just really annoying when Norman doesn't move from the left side. Other players at the cornerback position that consider themselves elite, like Patrick Peterson, like Jarrell Rivas, like Richard Sherman, they do sometimes tend to just stay on one side, but if there is a clear-cut number one guy, like an Antonio Brown, they cover him. They don't let their teammates sit by and get burnt play after play. They go and they say, hey, I got him. I'm supposed to be this good, one of the best corner, corner cover backs in the league, and I'm going to go cover him. Norman didn't do that, and it's pretty just annoying and frustrating, and I really don't like Josh Norman, especially after the night, the way he just has to talk to everybody. Like last year, got in the big altercation with Odell, and tonight trying to get it in Antonio's head, but Antonio just went out, outperformed him real badly, putting up those two touchdowns. It's encouraging for the uh, Steelers as well because they got some good receivers, uh, Eli Rogers, Sammy Coates, Marcus Wheaton, um, who filled in for Martavius Bryant, who suspended for the entire year, and D'Angelo Williams. It's nice to know they got him back there that if anything does happen to Le'Veon Bell or if he's not playing well, he can always be subbed out for D'Angelo, who can come in and play real well. Another big question the Steelers answer tonight is how good their defense is, I think. The Redskins can put up points. They do have a bit of a fire like a firepower offense where I mean they got Deshaun Jackson they got Jordan Reed they got Pierre Garçon they got Matt Jones in the backfield they can put up points they can throw for a lot of yards and yeah Cousins did but it was more of a bit of a bend don't break for the Steelers secondary they came up with an interception which was pretty big Ryan Chazier who I really think played a great game uh he was on Monday Night Football I thought maybe he could have won the Gruden Grinder I don't recall who did but the front seven for the Steelers played real well, and again, it was a bit of a bend-don't-break performance for the Steelers' secondary, but if they can sure that up, the secondary for the Steelers, they're going to be pretty dangerous, not only in the AFC North, but in the entire AFC, and they kind of validated a lot of people's picks for them to win the AFC tonight. The Redskins, um, in the NFC East, anybody's going to be able to win that. 
really, it's just a really weird division, I think. And on a week-to-week basis, especially when they're playing each other, it's going to be really weird and really difficult to decide who's the best team in that division, especially with so many injuries to other teams. So don't really know where the Redskins go from here, but I don't think they need to be too discouraged because I think clearly the Steelers were the better team, but I think the Redskins still are one of, if not the best team in the NFC East. Well, that's it, guys. That's the Tuesday, fourth edition of Carson Sack Podcast, where we're talking balls. We're going to keep talking balls. I have an episode coming for you Friday where I'm going to preview week three of the college football season. A lot of big matchups there. Then going to preview week two of the NFL season. Give you some sleeper picks there as well for fantasy and whatnot. Uh, I hope this episode, not sure how long it's going to be, but I hope it's just the right length where you can squeeze it in, listening to homework, squeeze it in on the way on the way to on the way to walk on the way to walk on the way to walk into class. I appreciate the continued support. Keep listening in. Um, any updates or anything like that, I'll either share it on here or tweet it out for you. And I, again, thank you for listening, and I'll be seeing you.